this is Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 124 of Gaming with Grief. And I'm calling this episode the Lathe of Heaven Review. But before I get into that, let me remind you guys that this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, Monday morning at 7 a.m. Go there, leave a comment, let me know what you think of the show. Or you can go to the Apple iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and subscribe to the podcast there. It's the Gaming with Grief podcast with Joseph Carlson. It's got a black background with smoke. Or you can go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. Drop me a line there. Let me know what you think of the show, what I can do to improve. And I'm on Twitter at JustLittleJoe, and I will try to get better about um, promoting it. But if you guys notice, this episode is going up a little early because I'm going out of town, and I want to have everything kind of done and kind of uh, published when I leave. So you're getting the podcast a couple days early, but it will still hit my website um, at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, like I said before. But yeah, to put it simply, uh, this is a book called The Lathe of Heaven. It was written by Ursula Le Guin. She was an author that passed away about three years ago, um, and she was a prolific science fiction writer. Um, She wrote several books like the Earthsea series, The Lathe of Heaven, um, on and on and on. Uh, She won several awards. I'm just going to read a little bit from Wikipedia because I did some other research, but this is a nice, concise way to sum up. Uh, the book Lathe of Heaven and and like everything that I do this kind of will be a spoiler cast Um, but what I'll do is generally go over the book in the beginning and talk about maybe her style um, and things like that and again this is Gaming with Grief and if you tuned in said why are you doing a book I do some book reviews but it's few and far between I think this is the maybe the third book review I've done maybe the second Uh, the reason why I'm doing this is because my therapist said, you should read Lathe of Heaven. So when you're going to therapy and someone says, you should read this, uh, I consider it almost like a homework assignment, but I'm kind of happy to say that I really enjoyed this book. Um, There were some things I missed because sometimes it's very subtle, some of the writing and things. So I actually had to read uh, some websites and things like Wikipedia and some other pages to kind of get, like fill in the gaps of what I missed. Uh, But I'm just going to read this little blurb from Wikipedia just to give you guys Uh, like a quick little recap of the novel. Uh, Again, this is from just from Wikipedia. If you just type it into, you know, Google, this is what comes up. The Lathe of Heaven is a 1971 science fiction novel by American writer Ursula K. Le Guin. The plot concerns a character whose dreams alter past and present reality. The story was serialized in an American science fiction magazine, Amazing Stories. The novel's The novel received nominations for the 1972 Hugo and the 1971 Nebula Award and won the Locust Award for Best Novel in 1972. Two television film adaptions were released, the PBS production The Lathe of Heaven and Lathe of Heaven 2002, a remake remake produced by A&E Network. Now what I've heard is that the the, uh, Lathe of Heaven from the 1980 PBS um, production. Ursula Le Guin was actually involved in that, and she actually likes it more, which makes sense. Uh, you know, if the, the author is involved in something, they have obviously, um, you know, make sure that maybe some of the main themes and characters uh, are are um, are you know some of the plot threads are followed and things like that. Um, and I read that, which I'll probably watch after this. I, I didn't want it to color how I reviewed the novel, but the movie apparently has been archived on YouTube. So you can, I guess, type in 1980 PBS production of Lathe of Heaven and watch the movie there. I'm going to watch it when I come back from out of town, uh, because I want to see, you know, if the author says this is a good adaption of my work and, 
you know, we can find it and watch it. I might as well do that. So, yeah, let's talk about the late of heaven. So, like the small description read, uh, George Orr is the main character. He is someone who has been dreaming in, in the beginning of the novel. Uh, just to, you know, this is going to be not really spoiler. This happens in the first couple of pages. He's been taking meds because he's been dreaming too much. And he goes to a doctor, uh, Harbin, I think is how to pronounce it. It's, um, anyway, uh, he, um, he want he wants the doctor to, uh, make it so he stops dreaming because it's horrific. And that's basically the setup for the novel. Now, um, I have been, um, I've been, uh, recommended Ursula Gwen many, many times and uh, the Earthsea series keeps coming up. People keep, like, not just my therapist, but other people, like, you should really read this. It's really good. Um, Ursula Gwynn reading about her life, I mean, obviously, this isn't a biography of her, but she was really kind of ahead of her time, and I know a lot of people say that. But reading about her life, you really see that. She, um, I read a little bit about her. She, apparently, her father, I believe, um, he was a, um anthropologist. And so he literally studied uh, ancient civilizations. Uh, her mom was a psychologist. Uh, basically, it's she writes people that are from different ethnicities and backgrounds, and this was like the 70s. And not to say that that never happened, but um, it seems refreshing um, that these are just people in the world. You know, like this is just how it is. I will say, uh, very generally, a lot of people said the novel the novel was very prescient. Uh, there's a lot of things in the novel. When I get into the spoiler chat, I'll talk about that. It was weird reading it now when you're like, the, you know, she um, dotted this stuff in the 70s, and it is now, uh, you know, not. And this stuff's all kind of like coming true. Um, again, a lot of people say that about science fiction writers, but it, it did really blow me away. And, and a quick side note, this is actually a very short novel. It's only about 180 pages. Um, I've been working nights and trying to squeeze it in here and there, but I was able to finish it in like probably, you know, two or three days reading for a few hours. Um, it's not bad. And I think that, uh, especially towards the end, I think I mentioned this before, but when you get to the end of something, like I speed up. So I think that's why I had to consult Wikipedia and some online resources, just random websites. I didn't write them down because I feel that I missed things in the novel that were important later on. It's like, did I miss someone saying this? Because you kind of pick up, I picked up, and since it's a short novel about page 150, like my reading just kind of like picked up. Um, I will say I love her style. I definitely now want to check out the Ursi series. And um, there's like a pull quote on the front of the book, the copy that I got, the edition, uh, basically somebody said, you know, this was good when I was young and now it's heartbreaking because it, it really has to deal with these idea of dreams, reality, uh, how, how we have control over our dreams. Uh, you know, since this guy can control reality with his dreams, what is real, what is, you know, what has been, uh, yeah, in the first few pages, you know, you find out that he's been doing this for a while. And um, so I guess, I mean, I can't really talk more. I recommend the novel. Uh, please go read it. You, I got it from the library. I tell people all the time, please go to the library. It's a great resource. Your tax uh, money pays for it. You can get 
uh, tons of free movies, and which I got uh, novels, everything, magazines, magna, like anime, tons of stuff you want. It's all there at the library. Go to the library. So I think I know this intro is very short, but again, I didn't really want to spoil the book for people that haven't uh, read it. But if you have read it, I'm going to go into the spoiler chat of the book. And uh, so again, I've done this before. Full disclosure, I'm going to spoil Lathe of Heaven, or at least what I got out of it. Um, I'm not going to go over every big plot beat, but I'm going to talk enough about the novel that it'll probably be somewhat ruined. Uh, I accidentally read ahead in one of the wiki pages because the way our minds work, I was checking out her biography information, the lay the head was on there. There was a quick plot summary, and just by glancing at it, I saw like a spoiler, but it still made things surprising later in the novel. So again, this is your last uh, warning. I'm going to start spoiling the novel, and there we go. So... Uh, and this isn't where I uh, do a big thing where like the main character dies or something. Um, but I will say, so the idea that, um, or is able to control reality, he goes to a psychologist and I do like that, um, the psychologist in this, uh, is really, um, kind of poked fun at a bit, uh, with, uh, you know, if I understood reading about Ursula Gwynn, her family, her mother, especially being a, um, a, um, psychologist it seemed like she kind of like poked at them a little bit because the psychologist haber i just got his name right he goes in these long speeches that are two or three pages about you know what the brain does and how or is behaving but obviously if somebody comes to your office and says my dreams can't affect reality you're not going to believe them and so what i thought was amazing about it was that um that uh was it? It kind of brings the reader into this world because you don't. Uh, the first time you hear uh, Or um, talking about all this stuff and how he's able to change reality, it's through like a flashback, and he talks about uh, he wanted his aunt to leave, basically, and he just wanted her to leave. So he had a dream where she, um, I think, died, and so, but everybody knew. You know, it was like, oh, she's been dead this many months, so nobody. It's like his brain retroactively changed time. Um, Haber starts calling these effective dreams because uh, he makes or dream in his office with something called the augmenter, which there's a lot of, it's obviously a lot of science fiction stuff. Um, and uh, what it does is it makes or dream of this um, mountain uh, of Mount Hood, the the book p- takes place in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I guess Le Guin lived there, so she knew it pretty intimately. But uh, or dreams of uh, instead of the mountain behind him, that it is actually a horse, because the doctor Haber says, "I want you to dream of a horse. I want it to be relaxing." Well, there's a horse in the picture now, and um, since this is the first time that Or has been honest and told someone he can do this, and has been with someone while he dreams, because they make it sound like he's kind of been a loner his whole life. Since he's with someone the moment that the dream changes, uh, the Dr. Haber understands and sees clearly what he can do to reality, that he actually changes reality. And it's a little bit confusing in Haber's mind. Did I just see that? Was the, that, that, uh, that picture had always been the mountain, but now it's the horse. But then he starts playing with Orr like he's a toy and making him, giving him all these suggestive dreams, like try this, like these very suggestive things. He's deleting a lot of the tapes of their sessions. Whenever he talks to Ori, he says, you know, we're, you're just around the bend. We almost got you, you healed, but then, um, you know, you won't have these terrible dreams anymore, these effective dreams. You'll just dream normally, but 
we come to find out that he has finagled his way into making uh, himself uh, more important in the institute he's in, and he he works at a different office and or has a nice place, but now the the doctor Haber has been promoted and is running things. And oh yeah, it's just been that way for six months because lo and behold, everybody just remembers everything being this way except for Haber and Orr because they were together when Haber gave gave those suggestions to his patient. Or and Orr um, realizes more and more that it's benefiting. Um, the doctor more than it's benefiting the patient. And so uh, Orr starts to get mad. He goes um, to an, a lawyer, uh, Lalake, um, Heather uh, Lalake. I hope I'm saying that name right. But she uh, basically says, well, this is weird. Like what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Obviously, nobody would believe he said that. And it's very relatable. Uh, but she said, uh, this is kind of like where the big turn in the novel comes where she says, how about we just say that I'm there to um, examine what he's doing to make sure he's above board? Uh, you know, I've, I've done this to psychologists before. You know, I've looked at their operation. I've made sure that they're not ripping people off or doing something terrible to them. So I'll just go and I'll observe. Well, that's when um, Haber really, the doctor really takes a swing. Haber really takes a swing with a massive affected dream and basically tells or listen i know in your life and right now you're feeling very claustrophobic and you just feel over, like everything just feels overcrowded you know just don't don't let don't let that bother you just brush it away you know you now have enough space to do whatever you want don't worry about that and they do go into haber's psychological like his thoughts in that book you know maybe if i do this right it'll work and it's very suggestive and very subliminal but um or wakes up and the uh, lawyer, uh, Lalake is at the window and she looks very shocked. And when Orr wakes up, he says, you remember that, you know, I was dreaming about the plague again, the plague we had. And Haber's like, right, the plague. Well, what happened was, um, basically Orr just wiped about, I don't know, 6 million people off the face of the earth, uh, because his dream effectively, um, you know, Made there be a plague, so there's no overpopulation. Uh, and that that's kind of where everything starts to go downhill um, for or the patient. And he keeps seeing that Haber is using him to get more and more things. There's war in the Middle East, which was crazy reading that. There's also been food shortages. Uh, pollution is terrible. People are packed into the cities because it's like really the only place where there's infrastructure. Um, so there's war in the Middle East. Um, and, uh, you know, the patient or says, you know, it's, it's terrible. He's talking to Haber one day. This, this is terrible. You know, the, what do you think is going to happen? And so what happened is, um, Haber tells him, you know, don't worry about the war. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm sure they'll find a peaceful solution. He kind of suggests this to them, uh, or goes to sleep again with this augmenter and, uh, has a dream of a massive fire in the sky and he sees something. And what happened was some aliens, when he wakes up, he comes to find out that aliens have actually attacked the moon. And so instead of people on Earth fighting uh, each other, they're now fighting an other. They're fighting aliens. So it takes the, you know, the problem off of our plate and puts it somewhere else. This kind of descends into more and more madness, and it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, finally, the humans have an interaction with the aliens. And I'm not even going to attempt to... Uh, pronounce the word maybe if I watch the movie and see how the aliens in the movie pronounce it but basically they, they see 
or for who he is. He has he's running with these aliens. He describes them as like these turtle-like creatures in these suits because obviously they probably can't breathe their air. And they keep using this one word to describe him. It sounds like I think he translates or himself, the patient, translates it as a dreamer. He's like, so are you saying that I'm a dreamer? And uh, they're saying, well, you know, because they're also learning English and they're like, we, you know, it's hard to say. We can't really say. But, um, you know, you are special and you basically need help. You can't do this all alone. And so there's this amazing culmination in the novel where uh, Orr wishes for basically all this to go away. But he wishes Haber in a way to see what's been happening or give him some of his power. This is where I had to look up online. I was a little bit... um, a little bit confused, but basically the doctor Haber hooks himself up to the machines and says, I can replicate everything you're doing or leaves. Haber hooks himself up to the machines, tried to, tries to replicate what is happening. In reality, literally down the middle splits. So everything is kind of half done. Everything's half blown up. It's half destroyed. Like half the people in the city are hurt. People are going to support groups to try to figure out what happened. You know, they're in this beautiful, picturesque, city with the mountain in the distance and even though they'd gone through troubles with plague and all that stuff um it was just a shock for one day for you know something like this to happen and so people are just blown away that all this is happening and or the the original patient goes to see haber and haber is in an insane institute you know an asylum a mental institute and he has gone insane because he was there at the crack of the world basically and seeing everything unravel he doesn't really know what to do or how to deal with himself and things like that. And, and uh, you know, that's basically the novel. But I think what I want to talk about now is there's these, this idea in the novel about what are dreams? What is reality? There's these quotes uh, like Confucius, uh, Lao Tzu, who wrote like the art, not the, uh, Sun Tzu, who wrote like the art of war, like the Taoist philosophy. And there's this idea in the novel between or the patient and Haber, the doctor, of them going back and forth, or keeps pushing back against the doctor saying, it is not our job to decide how things go. Every time we try to make something better, it just gets worse. Things have to run their course. People, you know, die all the time. Like, maybe we can't fix pollution. Maybe this was how it was supposed to be. You know, Haber gives him all these excuses. Like, if you had, um, you know, a, a serum that could cure someone of a snake bite in the woods, you should give it to them, you know? And they go back and forth. And it's this idea that Haber looks down on Orr and even makes comments in the novel about, you know, how is this power given to someone so simple that doesn't see the machinations of the world? And I alone can kind of guide everybody in this, you know, this new way, this new path uh, that I'm rewriting everything. And I think it is... Uh, this really great thing of philosophy of um, there was a phrase that I looked up I didn't write it down but it's this idea that I alone it is what I want my will is the one thing that is true and right and individual you know my individual feelings overwrite everybody in the whole world and or isn't saying no everybody does deserve a say you know you, you have to talk to these people what he's saying is some things are out of our control and I think, uh, at least that's what I took from it. Again, this is me interpreting it after reading the text and having to read things online. And I think that's a powerful message. In our lives, things are out of our control. And you have to, you have to come to grips with what is around you and your reality. 
and it is a great thing for a novel to talk about this. Again, this isn't the first novel to talk about this. This did win quite a lot of awards, though, so apparently people saw in this something, you know, this idea that, um, you know, uh, again, the acceptance of things out of your control, uh, you know, and the sheer power, again, of Haber saying, I am the arbiter of, you know, what is right and just because I am a learned man. And I do think there's some great critiques of philosophy in there. And, well, not philosophy, but of uh, psychiatry. Um, I go to a therapist. I enjoy going to my therapist. I think he has a lot to say. But I think it's this idea that you are so smart, you think you are on top of everything. And you need to have that moment of humility and say, I don't, you know, I've talked about several times in this podcast. You need to have that moment of humility and say, I don't know. I don't got it. I don't, I don't have control of this. I can't really stop this. I don't know what's going on. You know, it's stuff like that that to me is very... Uh, very powerful. And um, I think I'm going to read it again. Maybe I'll purchase it probably in a little bit. You know, I just I just finished it again. I got it from the go to the library. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Go to the library. It's great. But uh, I'll probably watch that movie when I come back from um, vacation because I want to see what happens and then like how I want to see actually, strangely enough, I want to see the word that the aliens use to describe or the dreamer because they keep saying, this is who you are. They kind of see him and he has this really strange part of the novel where he's like, well, if I created these aliens and they're seeing me for who I am, is it a part of me that wants me to break free of all this? Or are the, since I created them and they're walking around, you know, free will type thing, having their own uh, whatever, are, are, are they really seeing something in me? Is this something that was created or, you know, did I do this? I don't understand. I don't understand how I did this. And there's this really this existential thing in the novel about reality and fiction, and uh, I really like it. And again, it's a short novel. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that the more I sit with it, the more thoughts I have with it. If you have read the novel, um, let me know. Again, write in uh, to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. That would be great because I want to get... Uh, you know, it's weird reading a message board. I'd rather have like a discussion with somebody about, yeah, this was... This is crazy. Wasn't this crazy, this section right here? Um, yeah, I think I think that's it this week, guys. Uh, I, I, this, I've this i sat with it only for a day, and I'm, I'm still thinking about it. So I think this is something as time goes on, I'm going to sit with it and have new thoughts. But I wanted to give a review of it because, again, if your therapist tells you to read something, you probably should read it. Um, and it was a good recommendation. I'm glad he did. And now for you know the past few years, people recommending Ursula Le Guin to me, I definitely want to check out more books in her series. So uh, if you like science fiction, try her out. Try The Lathe of Heaven. I know I've ruined it. Uh, maybe this has just been enough for you to get interested to read the whole thing because I, I didn't divulge everything. There's things in there that I just didn't cover. So anyway, uh, I think that's it this week, guys. If you guys uh, remember, or I just want to remind you guys that this podcast will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com. Monday morning at 7 a.m., go there, leave a comment, let me know what you think of the show. Or you can go to Apple iTunes or the Google Play Store, subscribe to the podcast there, give me the likes, the stars, things like that. Or you can go to gwgpodfellows uh, at gmail.com, drop me a line. If you read the book, let me know. Or if you want me to talk about something else or you want me to cover or you want my opinion on something, drop me a line there and let me know. Um, also, uh, you can find me on Twitter at JustLittleJoe. And that's it this week, guys. Again, this is coming out just a little bit early, but it'll still hit the website on Monday morning. Um, and I will see you guys next week. Uh, have a safe weekend. Have a safe time. Uh, and I think that's it. Bye.